Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to another episode of Modern Commerce, the world's number one e-commerce podcast. I am your host, Roger Emmer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts and co-founders at Remy Labs, Brant Choate. Yo, yo. What's up, Brant? And Doug Barnett. Hey, everybody. Hey, Doug. Got that Red Bull going. It's going. <laughs> Roger require, Noel, Roger requires me to drink a red, red, red Bull before our podcast now because... I don't think he likes who I am without it. <laughs> That's not true. What? That's not true. Um, but a podcast is usually better with a Red Bull, in my opinion. Yeah. So, hey, guys, it's a big week, as usual. As usual. But we've got an awesome guest on the show today, and I'm going to do a little introduction here. Um, our guest today is currently the VP of PR at Vivint Smart Home. She's formerly the SVP of Marketing and Communications at Stance Socks. She is a LogoWorks OG, an Instagram early brand builder, and an all-around influencer, PR, and marketing guru. Noelle Bates, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you on. Thank you. It was actually pretty good. <laughs> impressive. I mean, Gosh. those are your credentials. Um, so, you know, I just said the words. You were the, what made it sound impressive. <laughs> those are nicer things than he's ever said about me as well, Noel. So, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, Noel, we're excited to have you on the show, and we're going to get into a bunch of stuff around PR marketing, influencer marketing. But we always like to start out, and this will be maybe a good way for our guests to get to know you with everyone's favorite segment. <laughs> Commerce Corner. I have no idea what that was, but Brant sent me that soundbite yesterday. Kind of works. It. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think it, I think it works. <laughs> so, um, our regular listeners kind of know what to expect here, but usually, what this is is um, if anyone's bought anything in the last week online, we just you know kind of talk about it and give a mini review. Have have a little fun with it. So, should I start? <laughs> I, I thought I thought this segment was only about what you've bought. Oh, okay, that's what it ends up. being. And I was Noel. really looking forward to this. Well, so. I um okay. I mean, I have bought some stuff. So yes, you have. Bought unusual. What? Just yes, bought. I've purchased some stuff. He just said bought <laughs> <laughs> it. Now I'm self conscious. <laughs> Everyone's gonna make fun of me. Okay. <laughs> Who, who wants to guess what I bought this week? Mm. Mm. Let's see. Uh, did you buy a new pair of Crocs? I did that two weeks ago. Mm. Does it have to do with mushrooms? No. Okay. Roger at dinner last night asked Brent if he wanted to start <laughs> growing mushrooms together. No, I said foraging. Oh, foraging. That's right. He did say foraging mushrooms. Yes. Um, Are you serious? Why? <laughs> What's the, what is why? Um, this is going off track really quick, but um, it was just a joke. We we had this mushroom dish, and then I asked Brian if he wanted to forge him. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I okay. have in my hand what I purchased. The Apple AirPods Pro 2. With, can you see this? A little skull emoji on it. What is that? What is the skull emoji from? Um. What do you mean? What is the skull? Is it just like a? Is that like a template that you can choose from Apple? Or did yeah, you, you can get it. In, you can get it engraved if you buy it from. Uh, yeah, I put the skull on it because I heard that that's what um, 
Gen Z uses for LOL instead of the laughing emoji. Mm. And I wanted to be cool. So <laughs> anyways, um, I bought, here's why I bought it. Um, as you guys know, I bought the, um, we all bought the Apple wallet last week and then, and I bought the Apple wallet and now I have an empty pocket. So I just needed something to put it in, put in there. You didn't already have AirPods? Um, not, I had AirPods pro a while ago and, um, my dog ate one and I've been using beats studio buds since I have the Beats studio buds. I don't like them as much. Yeah. They're not as good. These are pretty rad. Actually, I've been reminded recently how much I like Apple's audio quality of their product line. So how regularly are you reminded of how much you love Apple's products? Like on the um, like a minute by minute basis? Here's, is it here's hourly? the thing. Here's my take on this. It's been really trendy and cool to hate on Apple in the last couple of years. Like, and I've been there and they definitely aren't, um, you know, they've had some problems in the past. But I have actually personally, as Apple's biggest fanboy, been reminded that I do think they make amazing products recently, as um, demonstrated by my binging of Apple purchases. So yes, my review is they're really good. If you have the AirPods Pro 1, it probably depends on when you bought them. If they're older and the battery's kind of long in the tooth, definitely worth it. The cool thing about this for me I lose things a lot, and this has the U1 chip built in, meaning you can um, you can like find it similar to an AirTag mm. at a very precise location. So kind of cool. I didn't. My issue with those is that my daughter steals everyone's and connects her device to mm. it, and so and there's no way of telling whose is who unless you go have it etched or something like that. So I just went to a red Beats. Yes. Because then it would be obvious that she's stolen from me. It drives me crazy that they don't allow you to pair the the pods to an account so that mm. it can only be used on your devices and not be robbed by your children. Yeah. I, I kind of do the that's same That's my way of that. telling you I'm not a very good mother, but <laughs> you just steal stuff from me. But there you go. All right. That's my review. Anyone else got anything? Noel, have you purchased anything that you want to talk about? This week? Or in the last whatever. Just whatever comes to mind. While Noel's thinking, I can um I did not purchase it, but it arrived at my home, like most purchases that um take place in the Barnett home. And it was a uh dinosaur costume for my long haired dachshund. <laughs> and uh and my wife took it out <laughs> at the neighborhood, like trick or treat at the park the other day with the dog, and she got all the validation she was hoping for. I think from that purchase, and everybody, everyone was commenting about how cute the dog looked. So that was a successful purchase, I think. Shout out to Brandy; she's got a great sense of humor. Yes, Brandy's awesome. Uh, Brand, anything? I know you've been buying some stuff, but no, nah, nothing interesting. Okay. More smart home, though, for sure. Probably, yeah. yeah. All right. Fair enough. Any any, any, um, any reviews you want to drop, Noel? Well, I mean, at the, without sounding too much like a, you know, I finally had my Vivint system installed oh, wow. a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's some reasons for the delay, but 
there's been a uh, rash of burglaries in Orange County. Yep. And because people finally figured out it's like the easiest place to rob people. And so um, we just got it installed. And um, I have to say, it's like, it's actually amazing. Yeah. It's, it's lives up to the hype and more. My husband loves it, like loves it. And the first day or the second day that we had it, we caught a kid coming up to the door to ask my daughter for homecoming she wasn't home. <laughs> mm. And so listening to their conversations on the driveway of all the boys, like trying to pump them up to get through. Anyway, it was actually hilarious. So we're, I actually am loving it. It's awesome. Nice. I love Vivint's got amazing tech. I was actually raving about Vivint on last week's podcast, Noel. So oh, were you? I, uh, I agree with you. Do you have the spotlight pro yet? Yeah, we do. I talked the, in, the tech into giving me some nice. that were, you know, for uh, different accounts, but he, uh, it, it's so cool. Yeah. It's like really what it's cool. able to do. I, I was able to work on that product from like early inception while I was at Vivint and then I'm still a beta tester for Vivint. So I got it installed a little while ago and it is really cool. I'm super, super it's um, pleased with it. Very cool. And now our neighbor is getting it installed because he was like, this is amazing. Nice. So now he's becoming a Vivint customer. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Nothing like the old awesome. um, word of mouth. Word of mouth. All right. Well, I think that was a successful um, version of Commerce Corner. Um, we're gonna just we're gonna jump right into this, Noel. And one of the things that I think is really unique about you and your experience. I mean, we could start in a lot of different places, um, but I do want to start kind of with stance. And I know that's not like the beginning of your career or anything like that, but. What we find interesting about that and kind of what we want to talk about is I think Stance is actually a really great example of when marketing and social media had this tide shift in the you know early 2010s to kind of brand building online and building a brand really around a commodity product. I mean, Stance is a really cool product, but at the end of the day, it's a sock um, and I, mm-hmm. you know, from where, for where I sit, um, social media played a really big part of that and especially making the brand cool and desirable. And you were really, you, you ran that for a stance and you had a really, um, instrumental hand in that. So there's a couple of questions, but first I just kind of want to throw it out there. Like what, what was that like to be part of that? change in marketing or this, um, revolution, if you would say towards social becoming very instrumental to brand building, what did it feel like back then? Did it seem like the obvious thing to do? Um, and what were some of the, uh, the thoughts around going about stance that way? Um, so I can't take credit for stance being an early adopter of social, Ryan Kingman, who was one of the co-founders of Stance and was running marketing um, before I came, he saw this thing called Instagram, got Stance on it really early. And that was back in the day when you were you know, looking for people to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone had an account, you followed it. And so it had taken off. Um, and it was relatively large account by the time 
I joined and then ended up taking social as part of my job. Um, but it wasn't obvious, I don't think at first. I think they just sort of stumbled into it, but they were also very good at it. They, What I would say is they spoke the language of social. At the time, they were very fluent in understanding what was going to work on the platform and just and just making an effort and doing it. Um, but it wasn't obvious because at the time there was no data, like there was no, there were no links to the site. You didn't really know what it was doing for your brand in terms of sales or relevance. It felt like it was important, but there was no way to tie any results necessarily to social. Um, and so I do think that over time it was sort of taken I guess for granted um, and because we were so early on the platform, some, I would say some processes or the way we did Instagram or the way we did social media sort of became instantiated and people then became unwilling a little, it was scary to change mm. what we were doing on social to something new because it had worked so well for us. Um, but it was, it, I would say, if, if I think back to that time, I look at how dumb we were, what we didn't know. And of course we wouldn't, how would we have known? Um, but I don't think we totally saw what a huge opportunity uh, we had in influencer marketing. Cause even though we had influencers affiliated with the brand, from you know 2010 to 2016 ish, people weren't brands weren't using their yeah. influencers the way that they are now, and so that was kind of an another thing that was hard mentality to change. And we'd also worked with so many high level influencers, you know, NBA players, Rihanna, a lot of celebrities that going into this sort of influencer world felt like a little bit of a, it was just sort of awkward. You know, how do you build your brand around these ambassadors, which we called the punks and poets, and then all of a sudden start leveraging regular people. And I would say, you know, I don't mean that as a, in a demeaning way, but how do you use people that just had built these present, this presence on social? Um, it, it felt kind of like a violation of our brand in a way uh -huh. um, to do that. And we were also so artistic and visual and print and uh, we, we weren't, I would say that content on social, especially back then was pretty raw mm -hmm. and pretty, uh, you know, not, would not meet the standards of most, you know, creatives. Well, what's interesting about what you kind of said there. And it, it feels like we hear this a lot right now in 2022, like there's been some disruption because of technology decisions by Apple and new technology like TikTok with social in the last couple of years. And I'm just curious, like the way you describe that, it feels a little bit like, hey, we we think this is important. Um but we're not sure, but we are going to make a bet and we're going to go like spend time and money in 
building this social media thing because we think it could be valuable long-term, but we don't really know. And it, it feels to me that when we talk to people, they're talking about TikTok in a similar way. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, oh, TikTok's so weird. Um, and even when you talk about like it's early days, it was more raw. It didn't meet creative standards. Um, that has a very same similar vibe to TikTok now where brands are very used to putting a really polished version of themselves on Instagram. And now this TikTok thing is totally different, but um, do you feel like there's any parallels? Like, is that a good read? What, what do you, what are you thinking about now with social media and some of the changes that have happened? Um, and maybe compare or contrast that to how it was when, when it was, you know, kind of early days of, uh, of brand marketing on social. Um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying where people look at TikTok where they look at an emerging platform and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. Or I don't know how to make, how to, how does our brand come across on this platform? What was different about social in, you know, 10 years ago was you were sort of a, like, I don't know. I, just, I don't want to demean anyone, but you were sort of a crack team that was allowed to operate in isolation because <laughs> people didn't uh, like a lot of people didn't understand what was going on on social. They didn't even have it. They didn't get on it. They weren't regular users of it. And when you have, you know, middle-aged people running companies or investing in companies, they, they don't even know how to evaluate they didn't know how to evaluate what was going on with our social media. And we had no data, like I said before, at first. So um, I would say now everybody knows that social media is important, that using influencers is a viable marketing channel. And then there's probably, you know, lots of room to grow there. But they were kind of seeing with, TikTok, what's happened back then with social, which where people, again, don't understand it. And then it paralyzes them and they don't know how to start. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to do first. And they also tend to come from this mentality that we can't put that out there. That's just going to be, you know, bad for our brand or um, they're afraid things have to go through this approval process to even get onto social media or get onto TikTok. People overthink it and forget that, you know, it's ephemeral. It disappears. You can take it down really easily. People get overly hung up on what the content is and, and what is it, what is it saying? What is it doing? It's like you with TikTok in particular, you have almost like an unlimited amount. It's a, huge fires. You can put as much content as you want out there and it's really not going to hurt you. Um, and so I think that for brands that are sitting around going, it's confusing. It's just, well, you're not going to learn if you don't start, you got to start somewhere and, um, just pick up your phone and start doing it. That's, that's what I would say. People just don't, it's, it's intimidating to them for whatever reason. They're afraid they're going to make a mistake. They probably will. Um, They'll probably make a lot of them and they won't necessarily always understand why what's working at first or isn't working, but they, you just have to keep at it. So that's what I would say about um, nowadays is just 
you know, Stamps was lucky because we capitalized, we were an early adopter. Um, you can't sit around and wait forever to have it all perfectly laid out before you engage on a platform like that. And if you do, by the time you do that, if you wait for that where it's much more mature and you have better, more clarity into how TikTok even works, something new will be coming along and you'll be missing that boat. So it's just, you have to, you have to adopt early, even if it's, you know, clumsy. I love that. So, um, and that was, and I will say that was, that's a big change too. Um, from the way it used to be. I mean, I was the SVP of marketing, uh, from, I don't remember what you, but I was at stance for, you know, like seven, seven and a half years. And the, it used to be when you were like an SVP, if you're, you know, an executive team, you're just managing generally the people that are doing the work. And then you may have a core competency that you do some hands-on work around. And my, my core competency, I would say is PR. So I was very hands-on with uh, the PR portion, but had a team that was doing, you know, the social media and what's different now. And it's going to be very different. I think going forward. And I keep telling to that, this to my team now is I had to jump into literally like getting on my phone and helping with social because our Christmas seasons were always so insane that our DMS would get crowded. It was, it was just a nightmare yeah. on our social in December. And so I just, it was like, I got to chip in, you know, and I get in there and I start to see, I have an Instagram account, but it's totally different when you're dealing with an Instagram account with over a million followers, just Instagram. And then you've got Twitter, Facebook, you know, collect YouTube, you got collectively like a few million followers. And I'm seeing all these problems. I'm seeing processes that are like really broken. I'm seeing features we've never used. I'm learning things about our community I hadn't seen. And from that day forward, I never, I always got on social every day. I started looking more closely and drilling into the analytics and asking a lot of questions about why was even Facebook reporting the numbers the way they were reporting them and why were they flowing into our like analytics tools differently than the way they were reporting them? And um, why haven't we used this feature? Why are we not capitalizing on social commerce? Why haven't we built a process for handling some of these like customer escalations better? So I think the changes I don't mind, I'm not above that work and I didn't mind doing it. And in fact, it was like, that was my education. That's how I became an expert. It's not managing people who do it, it's doing it. And so I was actually really grateful for that, even though I guess I could have been like, you know, I need to hire people to do this. It's not my job. I have bigger things to work on. Actually, you don't have bigger things to work on than figuring out how those platforms work and yourself so that you can be very dangerous in managing those teams and directing those teams and providing insight to those teams. So I'm a totally different, you know, leader now, I guess I could say, because I have empathy, not only for my team that's doing social, but I can give them ideas. I can talk about, you know, ways that we could be leveraging social 
for things they've never thought of um, because I've actually done it. So I think that that's a sea change where you're just not going to be able to, I mean, you can, I guess you could at like fortune 500 companies, but the CMOs of the future um, are going to, they're going to have to be hands-on with this stuff. It isn't just about like getting an MBA and then going and like reading some leadership books and, and managing teams. Like you have to know how this stuff works or you're, you're not going to ever get where you want to go unless you just get lucky and hire people who like hire the best people. Sorry. I feel like I rambled. That was great. I think the CMOs of the future are going to be the people that have actually built and grown an audience. Um, they've just grown up doing it. And, you know, we talked about this um, on the podcast last week, Noel, uh, a little bit. But, you know, for the first time, you're starting to see businesses, instead of the business being the kicking off point, their influencers are now creating businesses on top of their audiences. Um, you know, and the, of course, the most famous is Mr. Beast. One of the things that we're, you know, that we're seeing is the ability for brands to get out of their comfort zone. And TikTok is really, when, when Roger says, we don't know what to do with TikTok, it's because you can't just put what I would call Instagram posts on TikTok, which is beautifully crafted art that you have created in a, in a brand studio and put it on TikTok and have it do anything. It just is completely pointless. And... One of the things that we've been talking about a lot internally and with other guests and on this podcast is the importance of content marketing and for, for brands. And you actually have to just go make engaging content and be okay with it not being exactly fitting into your brand rather than shoving your brand directly into every single post on social. I would love to hear how you guys are attacking that at Vivint today. I know you've, for example instead of making funny content, you're maybe even hiring funny, you're, you're basically signing deals with influencers that make funny stuff. How are you guys thinking about making engaging content at Vivint that um, makes the brand stand out, but also is just entertaining for consumers? Either funny or just cool, whatever. Educational. Yeah, educational, or, yeah. inspiring, Impactful whatever. in some way. Yep. Um. So this is a mistake I see a lot of brands make is that they want to do influencer marketing and they go in and then tell the influencers what to do. And they give them briefs and like, say this, and here's your script. And here's how you have to hold the product. It's like that old school, like production mentality. Like you're, they're not shooting a commercial for you, but you kind of treat them like they are. And one that's not why you hired probably or like started working with that influencer anyway. You started working with them because they have this ability to do storytelling in an engaging way that relates to their audience that feels natural that and you like what they do. And then you get people go and then they want to work with them and they kind of forget that this person knows the platform and knows how to talk to their audience and what is going to make something work better than you do. And you need to give them, 
you know, it's always good, I think, to give them some pointer, like, here's what we're trying to get across. Here's the objective. Here's some key messages you might want to work into your content that would be helpful. Um, but letting them do that storytelling for you instead of pushing your brand into the, because it's just not going to perform well. Like you need to allow them to have it be as authentic as possible. So, um, you know, what's interesting about that, that Noel, we sorry. Get, but people get like obsessed with that. Like, but our brand, this and brand is like, no, your brand is what other people say it is period. That's right. Nowadays. That's it. Like you don't get to control that message anymore. Pick people that you trust to tell your story in a way that's going to be engaging and authentic. That's why you chose them in the first place. And then let them do that. It's interesting because rather than a, you know a brand manager or somebody that's worried about a brand kind of forcing the brand into it, what the influencers care about is their audience. They care about their audience staying engaged with the content. You can do this stuff internally, but you just have to make that flip. You have to flip that switch in your head from, I care about my brand looking good to, no, I care about my audience enjoying the content. And if you can flip that switch, a brand can still even pull this off on their own branded channels, I think, as well. So that's a very interesting point of like, trust the influencer. Well, the reason you trust the influencer is the influencer cares about entertaining or providing content to the audience that that their audience is expecting from them. And that is a pretty big shift for most brands on their organic, uh, organic channels. Well, and I think the reason why, too, is because the it is hard to find the right influencers to work with and evaluate their content and develop a relationship with them. And for, for Vivint, we have, a, it's a much more complicated law. It requires some more long form or, or multi-touch storytelling. And so we, that is how we've built the program to have people that really are working for it. I mean, it's like, in, it's literally installed inside their home and drilled into their walls. So um, it, it's not a like spray and pray type thing that we can do. Um, but I think a lot of brands do that. They, they just sort of want to go and these software, these influencer software platforms and agencies will say, oh, we'll go get thousands of influencers and seed them a product to get them to talk about your company. And, you know, some for some types of companies that actually does work. The problem is you don't know who they are. You as a, if you're coming from that marketing world and that brand side, it's kind of been ingrained in you that you don't give up control of your brand to people who don't understand the brand. And so then you revert to like wanting to be controlling and you won't get, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're going to do that wide scale, seed a ton of people, then you got to let go of control. Yeah. Like you can't, you don't have it. And if you try to force them to do it the way that you want it, you're not going to get good results from it. Um, but I would say, depending on what your business is, um, and if you want to build a more deeper, meaningful connection with consumers and like actual potential buyers, I don't mean just the influencers, you've got to go a little bit. I feel like you need, you do need to be a little bit deeper, um, with the influencers and really understand and feel like the influencers you're working with are on brand. And then you can give them that control. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. Totally. There's, there's kind of been like a shift over the last little while with influencers kind of realizing that they have a little bit more power than they once had. I think as this has gotten to be like more popular um, in terms of a way to market, I'm curious if there's there's sort of like dynamics that have changed on your end or kind of things that, um, you know, you can tell us about in terms of what that looks like um, trying to navigate, you know, in a, in a world where everyone's realized this is a thing now. Yeah, it's funny because when you guys are talking about decades or like long years, literally every year in influencer marketing is so much different even than the year before. Like the shifts are happening so fast that you can't even compare like 2014 to 2017. Like there was just in three years, it was like completely upside down, especially with the sophistication on the ad side and the way paid factors into it, which is a whole other, you know, conversation, I guess, or topic of conversation. Um, But the, it's, it's hard to say with the going forward with, with the way that people are going to work with influencers um, now. I agree with you. They do, they do know that they have a lot of power, um, but some of them know that they can't also continue to just get dumb money. So over, you know, the 2000, probably 17 to you know, maybe the last three, four years, there are brands who will just pour money into influencer marketing. And it's create it's not a true marketplace. It is a little bit of the Wild West still. And it's very fascinating to see like what some influencers think that they are worth and others that don't have this these high expectations on like what they want in, from the brand in, in return. And there is no set rate. There is no free flowing information about, there's no way for someone starting influence marketing to have any idea how much they're going to have to spend. It is a black box. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really like, it's so, um, when you're able though, to take the time to really look for the right influencers to, to align with your business and you're very, you know, you feel very confident that they're going to do what they want to do. And they look at the brand and they think like, Oh, I, I like this brand. I like this, these products. I really want to promote them. You can, we've never been in a situation where we've had kind of that kismet and then not been able to figure out how everybody gets what they want from it. Um, but the, the, I think the days of the dumb money flowing into influencer marketing are come coming quickly to a close mm-hmm. And so there's going to be some influencers that find out they're worth more than they have been getting and valued more, should be valued more. And there are quite a few who are about to find out that they aren't bringing value at all. And then it's going to be, they're going to start grabbing for things. Hmm. And, and part, and, you know, I can kind of, I now can kind of look at someone's TikTok or their, Instagram or whatever social channel and say, Oh, this person's bought and sold. Like they're totally doing it for money. They're not building something that's sustainable long-term. And 
um, you're losing, and because of the way the algorithms are working and the shift towards more personalized content across all of the platforms, if you lose that authenticity with your audience, you're just toast. You're dead. Mm-hmm. Like you, because we can also see analytics now. We can see those graphs. We can see drop off. We can see that you're, if you have a business account or a creator account, we can see that you're not producing results. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that what we're going to see next is probably more of a true marketplace where influencers start to know their data and and they know the actual value that they're bringing to a brand and then we it's a and mar- and on the marketing side we're going to get more sophisticated and smarter about what that's worth so we're still we're we're not quite there yet but we're i think for for those of us who are maybe a little more sophisticated or ahead of the game in this like we're almost there mm-hmm. Hey, Raj, I, th- I don't know if we're, I'm going to take us off course just a little bit, but um, there are two things that come come to mind as Noel's talking to me. One, can you imagine being a marketing professor at a university right now <laughs> and trying to, to actually convince your students that you know what the heck you're talking about when the speed at which this stuff is moving is so fast and... As a hiring manager, you have got to be cognizant of that as you're hiring kids into your, you know, you know, college kids and and you know early career professionals, because man, this is like when Noel says it's kind of the wild west, it is yeah. the wild west. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing, as I'm listening to Noel talk about kind of taking share voice um, for your brand through influencer marketing, through organic social things like this. The one question that comes to mind, um, and Noel, we've had these conversations, so I've, I mean, this is a little bit of a um, inside baseball. If you were to rate a hundred percent, it's like okay, we're gonna, we only have a hundred percent of our resources to give, and you were advising a brand, and let's say they were doing, I don't know, twenty to fifty million dollars of revenue. What percentage of their effort should go into building their their share of voice? through social media, so all the things we've been talking about, organic, paid, influencers, things like that, versus um, trying to get attention from external media outlets via PR? So it totally depends on the goal because I don't think that's like an either or. I think that can be an and. But I would say that if you are a brand that's well capitalized, you have money that you've already had you know, investment dollars at your disposal that you need to deploy. And um, you're just trying to build your customer base. I wouldn't spend much time with PR. Like I wouldn't spend much time in PR because the way for a brand that that size, the way that PR is useful to them is usually in getting credibility in the market or uh, for getting attention from other investors, getting um, potentially being acquired, building partnerships. There is still something about media that for the, you know, people maybe a decade older than me, there's something about seeing those articles that just makes them really feel good and, and makes it feel like, 
things are valid, um, that they're valid and that people care about them. There's just sort of this like, oh, look at us, we got recognized. I think some of that is helpful for a brand that size, but I wouldn't, if you had to do one or the other, I would put it into influencers. I mean, if you look at PR, you have to think about this way. Influence is influence. And back when I started my career in the 90s, and I was in San Francisco uh, writing up, you know, the five years up to the dot-com, through that dot-com boom and then the bust, um, everybody focused all their time and energy and their marketing dollars on PR and advertising um, in media outlets. Like, that's how you got awareness and doing, like, crazy events. And that was – and and. They were doing that because that's where the influence resided and influence over time has been democratized to regular people because they have Instagram's like a media tool. Like they have a CMS, I guess, for being a ma- their own little magazine, if you think about it that way. And so when we talk about like OPR or influence, right, it's just influence, period. Who has it? Where does it live? And what is most influential for your customer base um, and the people that you're trying to get your product in front of? That's where you should be worried about. And if PR works for getting that in front of your buyer, if that's going to work because you're a B2B software company and you're selling something, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollar a year contracts, like you probably do need some third party validation that doesn't just come from someone on Twitter. Um who's a seasoned journalist who's going to look into your business and report on it. At that being said, I don't think you need like 50 of those types of pieces of coverage. You can have a very edited, concentrated, specific PR program or plan that is completely aligned to the kind of outcomes that you're trying to get or the influence you're trying to have. And so that's how I would suggest people look at it is stop looking at it as channels. Look at it as just straight up influence. Who's got it? Where is it? How do we go get it? Hmm. I love that. Um, real quick. I just want to do a time check. Noel, are you, are you, we're right at the I'm top good. of the hour. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up, but there's just a couple of things that I, I want to hit on. Um, okay. So, Okay. There's so much good information there. Um, we're going to have a fun time with some of these clips in a while. I feel like, I feel like I'm saying stuff people already know. No, they I don't like, know I that. Like, <laughs> I think that was one this, of the like, I've heard all this before. No, I think that was one of the most concise explanations yeah. of this dynamic that, that we've heard. Yeah. So let me just, there's a couple of things that I think um, might help paint the picture. And we, we do talk to lots and lots of company owners and they don't understand this. They really, really don't understand this. Um, all the way from things you talked about on the PR side to the, to to the influencer side, to how to approach social media. Um, and I'll frame this question just from a real life experience. Um, we were with a brand owner and this person wasn't super happy with the content Um, that was being put out on their social channels. But they said, you know, yeah, it's not great. I don't think it's getting us anything. Um, 
really of value. It's not generating sales, but it checks the box. Like I know I have to check the box, so to speak. Um, which seemed it seemed pretty odd, but I don't think that that is really that you know like there, that sentiment. I think exists a lot with with company owners. If if I was that brand owner and we were just having a conversation at lunch and I said that to you, like, what's your response to that? How, how do you, how would you, um, advise that person? That's a very interesting, uh, yeah, it, it reminds me of at stance, there became this cadence of posts where we would post every day kind of around the same time of day. This was before we had algorithms that would tell us anything about like when the best time was supposed even, but that that's always been bullshit just so you know. Um, <laughs> but um, the now you're in, we're going to be an hour in and then the real Noel is going to yeah, start coming out like and it's going to get like R rated and my children <laughs> are going to find it and be like, mom, why are you swearing on the internet? Anyway, so um Wait, what was I saying? Oh, it reminds me of being at and and people got so instantiated in this like calendaring of social posts that when it was very clear the algorithm had completely changed around that because the algorithm at first it was if you posted people would see it. So people started posting like twice a day because if they followed you they would get your posts and then that all changed, but it was so hard to get my team to shift out of that mindset of saying, no, we don't have to post every day. You don't have to check that box. We need to be posting the right content that feels fluent on the platform that is speaks the language of social and produces something not only that we like, but that is going to be impactful because we're going to have more limited opportunities to get in front of our people we want to get in front of the way that the algorithm has changed. So for anyone that's safe, you know, if we do it because I'm just checking a box, um, well, I, I don't know why you would do it. Like, then you really need to pull back and look at, well, maybe social isn't even right for your business if, if that's the way you're doing it, because it should be, you wouldn't say that if you're producing a TV commercial, you wouldn't say like, yeah, we just have to check the box. Like, that's crazy. So that's the way people hear about brands is, on social media. So I would say you need to pull back and really, you can be way more edited. You don't have to just check a box. Maybe you're checking the box once a week, but the box, you're, the thing that you're putting out there is really relevant and, and impactful for your brand. Um, you said something a minute ago about like growing your social presence. And, you know, it's funny because even up to just a couple of years ago, I would talk to people will come to me for advice about like, how do we, you know, revamp our social or how, do, where should we be focused or whatever? And everyone comes back and says that follower growth is a metric. Like that's their like number one, we want to get more followers. And when someone tells me that I'm like, you don't understand how the algorithms work because one TikTok couldn't really even care less about farming has some relevance and it has some weight in that algorithm, but it's not really, that's not what they're looking for um, to get to put content in front of people. And that's why you'll see something go viral and get 3 million views. And then the next post has 1000 or 50 and you'll get followers, but the followers don't dictate 
it's not what other people are doing on the platform that TikTok decides to serve you content about. It's just looking at like, what do you like? And I'm going to put that content in front of you. So, and then on Instagram, it's just so hard to get followers because those feeds are so crowded and people don't want to clog up their, their followers with, you know, people, they don't really, you know, there's only so much time in, in the day to scroll. And so it's really should be engagement. And I always say like, are people tapping on the content? That's what you're looking for. Like your, your, your metric should be taps, like forwards, comments, likes, because that is telling the algorithm that your content is good. And then it's going to put that content in front of more people. So it isn't about being Brian Brat. It's, it's like, are people going to touch the screen? And if they're going to touch the screen, you're probably going to have success on social. And that should be the metric. That And, you know, there is actually a way to, like, measure that and look at that. But I don't, you know, follower growth. I'm like, whatever. Impressions is great. Like, impressions means it's proliferating. Um shares, comments, likes, that means someone tapped it. They touched that screen and, and they engaged with, with your brand. And so, um, that's what I would say is don't check a box, like create content that gets people to touch the screen. Hmm. I love that. Okay. I have some wrap outs or you guys want to hit anything else though? I think that's good. Okay. Um, Doug's like, this is so boring. No, please, it's, please end it. No, <laughs> we just, we just so gotta weird. have it be a certain length. Um, okay. One question I want to ask you and then, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, there is definitely a tension in the social space with, with brands and, and platforms right now with, you know, I think we, we, we say it all the time. It's TikTok has changed the game. Um, my question is, do you, do you still see value in expressing your brand in this very Instagram-esque where, you know, in some ways, a lot of the brands on Instagram, they feel the same now. There's like this formula and it's just this perfect shot and whatever. Um, is there still value in maintaining that polish or would you lean more into kind of what, where the tide seems to be going or the puck seems to be going, so to speak? with more organic, um, engaging, authentic type of content. Um, is it an and or an or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's also an and. I, I look at the way Instagram is formatted now. I think with your ability to pin content at the top of your Instagram feed that lives kind of in perpetuity, I always tell people, you got to look at your Instagram bio, that page as a mini website. That's really where people are finding you. That's like a little mini website. So pitting the brand right content, the messages you really want at the top so that someone's discovering your page, they kind of see the things that they get a sense of who you are. It's not just a bunch of, you know, content shot on an iPhone that maybe isn't get across the messages that you want um, to have out there, but it should feel like, Look, if if you want someone to take to touch that screen to go to your website or to follow you or to start scrolling down and look at other pieces of content, it does have to feel in the moment. It does have to feel like it was built for Instagram. 
I mean, gone are the days that it's like, this is our like brand scrapbook and we're going to like lay out <laughs> the pictures this way and they're going to all connect together. And it's like, that's cool. You know, that was cool for a little while. Um, and that's how people, it's just not how things work now. And so it's looking at, you know, your Instagram, there's definitely value in Instagram for sure. Um, but using it properly to function almost like a mini website, hmm. if that makes yeah. sense, but told through the voice of real people. Yeah. I love that. If I had to just kind of wrap this up, having worked with, you Noel, and you know, you talked about this, the reason why I think you've been really successful with this is that mentality of, I need to get in there and understand how this works. I think we've, I've yeah. mentioned this before on the podcast, but so many brand owners or CMOs or, or whatever, they have no idea how it works. They've never like used the app before outside of maybe some consumption, but creating the content being involved in the creation process of the content, there's just nothing more valuable if social is a you know an area that you want to attack as a brand owner. Um, you will learn more doing that than anything else that you could possibly do. And so I love that, and I love um, how you know how that your proof that that works, and and um, that's something that we we believe really strongly here at the Remy side. So. It's been a fun episode. Thank you. It's been a fun episode, Noel. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. For oh, I didn't I'm, even say this. I don't. I don't normally do this. Like I avoid these things. Like, <laughs> we had to pull some not, strings. So, um, no, you Doug should just, definitely like, do it. Shot more. it at me at, like so late at night that I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll do it. I <laughs> caught me off guard. You should definitely do it. Yeah, more. but I would say like ultimately, like you have to adapt. And you have to start, you have to be willing to like try new things and change. You're not running marketing anymore. You're running R and D, hmm. um, using, you're running a research and development team and you're testing and you're learning and you're growing. And if you don't adapt, like you will be adapted out. I love that, man. That's another one. We should just keep going actually. I know she keeps giving us sound bites. <laughs> um, well, listeners, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. This is episode 20 of Modern Commerce. We've made it two decades. So it may feel like two decades to our listeners. Shout out to that. <laughs> Noel, thanks for coming on the show. And listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mo Modern Commerce. Thanks, Noel. Okay. You're no welcome. Noel, you I'm going to um, stop the recording. And I think you're.